Well, 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 it is time again for another episode of the Do Things Podcast. I'm Todd, your host as always, and I'm super pumped that you're here uh, because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about mostly doing things, and I've got a great interview with my buddy Charlie Pecoraro. We've known each other since high school. Uh, He lives and works in Hollywood as an actor, as a director. Uh, He's done a Netflix documentary. He's done an independent film documentary. He's done a lot of really great cool stuff, and we just kind of talk about the process of being an actor and going to auditions and how all that works and then uh, a lot of things along the way about uh, music and life and family and restaurants and all this kind of stuff. So it's a great interview, a lot of good content. Hopefully you enjoy it. Charlie Pecoraro is going to bring it and we're going to hear about doing some things. Also, don't forget the DT Apparel Shop. we got new designs and stuff coming in all the time. And as a listener of the Do Things Podcast, you get a 10% discount if you put in Podcast 10 at checkout. Don't forget DTApparel.com. New stuff coming in all the time. We've got a big announcement coming up soon. So be paying attention and watching for that. But without further ado, it is time to get into my interview with my buddy, Charlie Pecoraro, and talk about doing things. Let's get it. The pipe helps. Well, the pipe, and it makes you look so like important. I I, I I can send you a photograph of me as a two-year-old. I'm holding I'm holding a pipe. So, are you really like with pops and like like doing yeah, the thing? Born I'm born with a pipe in my hand. Yeah, born with a pipe. Charlie Bicaro, born with a pipe. pipe in his hand. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Pretty much. So oh, you have the good things hat. Look at you. Do your brand in it. Oh, wait. I need to take this moment to say you have a drum set over your shoulder and I have a drum set over my shoulder. Oh, it's, dude, it's meant to be. That's pretty amazing. Have you been playing a lot lately? Um, are we started? <laughs> well, I mean, we're just going. It's going to end up like it'll be good. So, this is like on Mark, uh, this is like on Mark Marin where they say, Have we started? He's like, Yeah, we already started. Yeah, like um, hours ago. <laughs> Yeah, I ha- well, you. I don't know if you may remember. I played some instruments in high school. Oh yeah, no, I know. But when uh, college came, I kind of abandoned them because I wasn't quite sure how they fit into my life. So I said, you know what? I'm going to drop some stuff, and whatever comes back to me, that's what I. That's what my heart mm-hmm. says I need to do. Yeah, that kind of felt like I did too much in high school. I didn't know where it was all coming from, if it was genuinely motivated or if it was just like I was in love with myself or the, or the image of myself or whatever. So anyhow, what came back was uh, drums by way of I got a job in the singing waiter Italian restaurant and they had a kit there and there was a piano player and all the waiters were singers. And I thought, you know, I always wanted to tinker around on a, on a set and here it was. So I got like the two thinnest brushes. Yeah. And I just, it's like, you can't really go wrong with that. Right. And no, you can't mess up that, that at all. Started the ding, 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 ding. And the piano player, piano player said, Hey man, play louder. I, you know, we need more support. I was like, oh, okay. So I, I literally learned to play like I was in vaudeville in front of people. And That's I didn't awesome. have this drum set for like five years. So I just literally learned to play four nights a week in front of people at this place, making mistakes, <laughs> doing things, doing things, man. And now that's what I play. I don't even play the other instruments really. That's awesome. So literally what restaurant is it? Give a shout out. It's called Michelli's. Um, okay. The oldest Italian restaurant in Hollywood. My dad worked for my boss's dad 60 years ago. Oh, wow. No. So is it connected to Angelo Vinci's at all? Like, no. 
okay. Like there's no like it's friendly. There, your dad's okay with you working at a another Italian restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh sure. <laughs> How is Pops, by the way? He's gonna be a hundred this year. Dude, that's crazy. When we graduated high school, he turned eighty. Yeah. So uh, I just was looking at my calendar last night, and I was thinking, you know, the 29th of every month, I'm going to say ten more months till 100. Nine more months. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but I don't really believe in jinxing. So. Right. Right. But that's epic, man. My whole life, I've wondered if he would ever make it this far, because you know, when I was born, he was old already. Sure. So. Um, but that's it's crazy, man. Very surreal. Even though it's just gone one year at a time, it's very, very surreal. Yeah. Do you you get back to see him a lot, or I, I over the past, you know, I don't know if this is true for every old person, but once you hit ninety, even if you're going with like a full tank of gas, which you pretty much was, mm-hmm. it's like every year is like two years or three years. Yeah. Yeah. It starts to it starts to slow down a lot. I would imagine. Yeah. I had never really seen too much of a. Slow down until he hit 90, 91. He was hopping the train all the time in Fullerton. I'd pick him up downtown and we'd go out and I, I would take him around all sorts of stuff and he'd sleep over. And the next night, uh, put him back on the train and we did that wow. for years. But uh, now that he can't really do that, um, I, I'm going down a lot, like every two weeks at least. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you, you and your dad are really close, right? I mean, that's what I remember. Well, I am an only child, so. It's, I always say, um, if you think about how intimate things are in your own life with yourself, and then if you have a wife, how intimate things are, then you just add one kid to the mix. It's like still very, very close. Yeah. So. Yeah, really true. Most of my folks. And I, they're also for my mom who's -hmm. taken up a lot of the slack, um, for making sure that he's, you know, eating enough and. Right. Are they still really involved at the restaurant at all, or they sell? I can't remember. You know what? They never really owned it. Um, it was always my father's brother's gotcha. restaurant. But my dad, uh, my mom opened it in the 70s, and then my mm-hmm. dad worked there for some years. And then even like in his 80s and early 90s, he would go on Fridays and Saturdays and just kind of be like um, the mascot, you know, the old Italian guy there. and. <laughs> Eat his bowl of pasta, and everyone say it's an old Italian eating pasta. Oh my gosh, this place is authentic. It's it's real. We need to come back every weekend. Hey, it's a spicy meatball. Still, you know, my aunt still owns it. My uncle passed away, uh, I think, in two thousand five. I want to say now. Okay, so deep family roots there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a great place too. I love. Hey, if anybody's listening and you have a chance to go to Angelo and Vinci's in Fullerton, you need to because it's awesome. Oh, like it's, uh, over 40 years it's 40 45 years it's a long time for, man. for a giant yeah it really is it really is so you're in hollywood and you're doing the hollywood thing you're going like literally you just came from an audition before this interview um and you've done a ton of great stuff you've got i mean i won't go through the whole list because you've got you know usc film school and you've got your circle the wagons and then um the netflix special and like all all of this stuff that you've got going on. And like, I wanted to catch up and say like, what is it that you're like, what's your, what's your goal that Charlie Piccaro is like, what are you, what are you striving for? And how does it, how does it happen for you on a daily basis? Cause I would imagine in your industry, it's super competitive, right? You even said some of that yourself that it's yeah. like, 
you have to, it's a mindset. Obviously, I think everything's a mindset. I think it all comes from perspective. And mm -hmm. the mindset that you have that you could share that really would impact, even if it's just one person that's in a similar situation where they got to be like, man, I, I, I'm just about ready to throw in the towel or do whatever. And then if they go on that one more audition or that one more thing. It may thing, not be the podcast to encourage them because I'll be <laughs> really real. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to. Let's bring it. Can I say bullshit? I'm not going to bullshit you. Um, yeah. Um, so it, the first thing that struck me as interesting is when you said I'm doing the Hollywood thing. And I'm curious to know, you know, what people think that means, because I thought that meant something before I moved out here. And what did you it, think that meant? Let's start there. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I thought I'd get here and it'd be just a matter of time where I'd be like, Oh my God, uh, who's that guy? You know, like, we got to add him to whatever we're doing or, <laughs> and I don't even know if I had those thoughts consciously, but there was some little um, uh, uh, drops of like special. I think I'm special that I think everybody comes here with either that or like desperately needing or just got to perform mm -hmm. or Everyone's story is a little different. I had a little bit of all of that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't want to do in Hollywood. Like there's, sure. I don't, I don't even have TV. Like I don't watch most, most TV this whole last year. I barely watched any movies. I have a laser player. Someone gave me, you remember the, remember the cartoon? Really? Cat? Yeah. I have a laser player. I don't know if yeah. you remember the cartoon, Eek the Cat, but the director of Eek yes. the Cat gave my friend, his wife made him throw out 300 laser discs and I was the only guy that he knew who had a laser player. So I've been watching movies from like 1970 up to like 1997 and nothing really passed that for the last year. Have you, have you seen any of the new star Wars stuff at all? I did see uh, this last one, but I'm not like, I don't have a big boner for star Wars or gotcha. No, so watch it. You know, I like it. I'm not like camping out or yeah. elevating. So you had this idea before you went there because you, you were in like you graduated from USC film school, right? Like that's, I didn't that's go in. I didn't go in knowing that though. Okay. You know, I actually applied as a, um, sorry, I guess probably some pipe tobacco in my eye. Um, Break I make it out I, brother. Yeah. I applied, um, as music composition originally. And then oh. I read that they only accept 10 people a year. And I was like, whoa, yeah, I called him up. I said, Hey, you know what? Can you change it to undeclared? Cause I'm not even exactly sure this is what I want to do. Thank God, because I don't think I would have gotten in. And I went in undeclared and I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do for a while. Uh, but sophomore year, I lived with two guys who are both film majors. Mm -hmm. One guy uh, who was my roommate now plays Jimmy Olsen on Supergirl. I don't know if you watched Supergirl. Oh, His name I've is seen a few episodes, yes. And he's doing very, very well for himself. I'm really proud of him. And, um, you know, we would go see movies and just the conversation in the apartment was very filmic. And, you know, I had been performing just in high school and a little bit in college. So it was in my, it was in my universe. I knew that I can't, well, you got out. family, you got family too, right? That was in, in the industry. Didn't you? My uncle, Steve, um, Stephen Peck, he did quite a lot of films, um, a, lot of, a lot of neat old films where he got in a fight with Frank Sinatra because he played yeah. his boyfriend. And my grandfather was in vaudeville back in, I have headshots from my grandpa from like 1907. Wow. 
but he was like playing guitar and doing jokes and doing a lot of things in like Sicil- for Sicilian audiences. And sure, sure. So you know, entertainment. I had an opera singing aunt. My dad, of course, he was a jazz guitarist. So it's all mm-hmm. kind of entertainment not- industry is deep within the Pecoraro blood. There are no lawyers. There are no doctors. <laughs> you know, right? It's like showbiz and restaurants, and they're not that far different. So. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So you get to get to school, you change your idea of what you're doing, you get into film school, you get through it. And then you get out what when you get out of college and you're like, uh, what do you think? What do you what are you saying in that mantra? Like, OK, now what's the next step? Yeah. Well, I said I decided during college that the track I was going to take was going to allow me um, enough flexibility to take performance classes. So I kind of had like a performance emphasis. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be an actor. You know, I, I like to perform. I like to be creative with myself as the tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to play characters. That really turns me on. It's a lot of fun. And your I, characters are great, by the way. Thank you. Like Derringer is my favorite. I, we need to see more of him. Man, quick sidebar. Derringer. Yeah. So I, I went out for an audition. This is actually a great story because it's a little like a lesson in there. I went out for an audition for this one role in this show. It was, there was a writer's strike and Fox had this show that they want to put up, but a lot of the funding got switched around and they were just going to do um, five online episodes for Hulu. It was Hulu's first original content series. Ooh. And it was kind of a cheaper way for them to do a pilot. Mm-hmm. So I go to audition for this character. When I get there, they gave me the wrong sides. Sides are your script. They gave me the wrong huh? pages for your scene. So they're like, no, we actually want you for this old, grizzled, 70s, out-of-place cop. What? I, like, I, I, went in, I went in thinking I was going to audition for a stoner. But I was like, well, I could do that. So I just kind of like Vietnamed him and made him kind of like, <laughs> like something a little wrong with him, but like really intense. I, I love sudden. it. <laughs> and I went in there, and they had a guy like kind of in mind for the role already. And they bumped him and they used me and they took that show and they put it up and Fox actually took the show and made it into the series, the good guys with um, Colin Hanks. Yes. They took my character out of the series. They left all the stoner stuff behind and they, and they made uh, Bradley Whitford, my character. They made him Derringer. No way. Yeah. That's so awesome. I always say it's like the second best thing that could have happened to me is that they made a television show that played for like three seasons based around a character I created. Yeah. Just that somebody else got to play it. That's, <laughs> that's almost the coolest. Like it's super cool. Yeah. It, it, that's a great that's compliment. Yeah. Yeah. No, the Derringer character, man, like the, I, I, when you say you Vietnamed him, I totally know what you mean. Cause he's got that, like, there's some literally a, a switch could flip and he could kill everyone. Like I feel that from that character. It's so good. <laughs> that was a really, that was a really fun shoot. And I'm still very close to a lot of people who were involved with it. Um, but you know, it was a long time ago. And um... so you, so you do the Derringer thing. I totally sidetracked you on that. Okay. Yeah. That was good. That was fun. I, I love that character, but you like doing characters and you, you get into like, you have, you go and you get an agent first thing. Do you like uh, just a process? Oh, okay. of the, yeah, I'll give you into some the industry. Well, yeah. I, it, um, yeah, I, I'm really. I feel like I was just like 
a little guppy swimming in the big ocean. I had no idea what to do. I had a roommate who was only in it for a year or two, decided it wasn't for him, but he, we were like buddies trying to figure things out for a year and a half. And he found a guy who was a photographer. And so we went and got shots. And um, I went to Samuel French, which is the actor's bookstore. Okay. And they had this um, paperback book that comes out like every month or so called The Right Agent. I think, it, I think they still publish it. And inside are all the reputable agents in town. And they're supposed to tell Samuel French what they're looking for that month. Oh, I need more Zach Galifianakis type guys. Oh, we need mm-hmm. more Pam Anderson types, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they put it in there. And so I just took a highlight. I mean, I, old, I got old fashioned on it. I got a highlighter and a pen. And I went through the whole damn book and I just made notes. And I said, I'm going to submit to 25 agencies, a spectrum from, you know, William Morris down to the little boutique ones and everything in between mm-hmm. and just see what sticks. And I got, I sent out 25 headshots with resumes and cover letters. And I got one phone call. Um, they wanted to see me commercially just to go out for commercials as opposed to theatrically, which is kind of ill-named. It actually means film and television, not theater. Gotcha. Okay. So I was like, well, I'll take it. So I, I go in, they give me some uh, copy uh, as if I was going, I think it was an AT&T spot that they had on file. I read okay. them. Um, I think I, I actually took a, um, I took a prep, I took a prep course from this guy who was doing like crash course on commercial auditioning. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, we'll sign you commercially. My first audition I went on, I booked it. It was a Ford, uh, Ford Explorer commercial. Was, I thought this is so easy. Oh, wow. I'm good. <laughs> Unfortunately, it like fanned my flames of delusion. Sure, I just, sure. It's going to go out for, you know, I made like 25 grand over the course of the next year. Didn't save very much of it at all. Just thought like the bucks were yeah. going to roll in. I thought people were going to recognize me. And then, you know, when it aired, it was like, it was like that much of Charlie in it. Nanosecond. Oh, yeah. man. Um, so that's how I got an agent. And uh, a year later, they folded their commercial department and they traded me literally down the hall in this building full of agencies to another agency. Um, they're like, yeah, this kid booked. I'm like, okay, we'll take him. And I've been with that agent na- okay. now for like 12 years. Wow. And, and so good or bad. I mean, I go out a lot commercially. I haven't gone out very much theatrically. And Which do you prefer? You. Do you have a preference? Well, here's the thing. You know, I had to have a conversation with myself recently, and I said, you know, if you were very dissatisfied about not going out enough for film and television, why haven't you gotten another agent? Mm. Good question. It made myself really say, maybe it's because I don't want to do a lot of these TV gigs, or maybe, I don't know, there's some spark that's kind of like dampened. Yeah. Years. Um. Maybe there wasn't uh, a notion of what it was to be a working actor uh, on television Mm. and film that I thought it was like this. And then like being in the trenches and seeing, maybe I don't want my life to be all about that. Maybe Mm. I would be um, unsatisfied. So take that and mix together this opportunity that came along uh, in 2007 to, um, I got an idea to produce a documentary about yeah. going cross country in a Volkswagen bus. 
And I did that for seven or eight years, um, producing that really, really hard, unexpected turns. And it like mm-hmm. took my attention away from like really like during those fiery years where I probably would have gotten another agent and I would have been, I'm really on top of my reel and my headshots and mm-hmm. doing all the, all the extras. Um, I was desperately trying to figure out how to finish this film, how to raise funds and how to get it distributed. Now let's go back to that circle of wagons because that's the one you're talking about, right? That's the documentary. Yeah. yeah so w- you had the idea this is all independent, right? I mean, this was all your idea, your guys, your crew, you're getting the funding. There was no, there was no backing from anybody other than this is my idea. It's my baby. And I want to make this thing happen. Right. Is that how, how it went down? Yeah. I mean, kind of one of the misnomers of Hollywood is that anyone other than yourself is going to give a crap about what you want to do. Or who yeah. you are. One of the one of my favorite funny things, people when people come to the town, I'm from St. Louis. Oh, well, I'm from I'm from Washington State. I'm from Ohio. <laughs> no one gives a crap where no. you're from unless they're from there too. And yeah. then you'll have this big of a conversation about the bears or whatever, and then it's really about can what you do be sold? Yeah. Is what you do something that helps me do what I do? Because ultimately, if it doesn't, then I don't have time for you because I got to do stuff. People will only take a chance on you if they think you're an undiscovered talent. Hmm. If they think that your mind hasn't, your gold hasn't been mined yet. Hmm. So the, the, the only risk they'll take is if you're not a name, but they really think that you will be. They're not going gotcha. to go out of their way for you because they're your friend or because you're very nice. Um, they may like you. But it's mm. it's a detriment to them to take a to because it's really losing money if they if they don't think you can if they don't think you're you're going to be very nice to work with on set the director will complain about you if they don't think that you can deliver when the camera's on you you're burning tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars you know every day um you got to deliver so no yeah what are you doing that for well because they're talking about nobody's there for you nobody's got your back. You're you're pretty much you're a lone wolf in the oh, industry for the most part. No one part. cares about what you wanted. So so no one's gonna really give you money for your movie idea, um, especially if it's your first one. I don't want to make it sound as like. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I had to. I had some friends and family. I didn't actually even ask for any of the original startup uh, costs. I just was very very excited about my project, and and friends and family offered it to me. Yeah. So with that first seed money, we planned this road trip and uh, things didn't go as planned, which often happens when you take a long trip in a Volkswagen bus. Sure. Yeah. I mean, cause it was a, like, there was a breakdown at one point, right? Like it was at one point, Todd, there was <laughs> it's basically a giant, the movie is a giant breakdown with intermittent break- miles traveled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you get, so you get this opportunity to do something that you're excited to do. And everything that you're telling me is like, it sounds, it feels like you had this idea of like, yeah, I'm going to get this Ford spot. I'm going to get recognized. I had this idea for a documentary. People are going to love it and they're going to want to like help me with it. But the reality is if you're not doing the work and if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort that's crazy needed to make anything happen, you might as well do something else. Yeah, you know, 
people always say, oh, the film industry is so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. You know what? Everything is hard. Everything in life is hard except for, I don't know, not putting nothing. Forth. It's all hard. It's there's nothing. It's all hard. Even not putting forth effort. There's a great uh, quote. It says, um, the weight of effort weighs pounds, but the weight of regret weighs tons. Ooh, yes. That's I love quote. that quote. He's Jim Rohn. Um, and, you know, I grew up with a lot of old people. Um, and they always said this one phrase over and over again, shoulda, coulda, woulda, if mm-hmm. I only know. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded like a table full of regrets all the damn time. Ah. I thought when I was a kid, I'm never going to have any regrets. I'm every opportunity and I'm going to really put forth all my effort. And then, you know, like life, like took something like bam, 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 bam. <laughs> and now like I have a project this very moment, this very moment. Here's what I did this morning. Let's do it. I have my typewriter. Yes. Okay? I'm using this typewriter to, to figure out why I, cannot get started on this new project. I have a okay. project that for all intents and purposes, I think I love. It's a good idea. Many people have told me it's a great idea. I have a friend who's a very reputable producer. He said, you've already done more research on this than most of the shows that I've worked on that get greenlit. He says, you're, you're, oh, really, wow. you're really well in set. Um, and like, there's a stop. There's a stop in me. Hmm. And I know I have a little bit of... Um, like scar tissue from circle the wagon and how like it didn't really end up exactly how I want. Like I succeeded in some ways. I got some awards. It was seen by a lot of people around the world mm-hmm. and I get really honest. I'll never make any money on it, but I do get very lovely emails every now and again from someone who watches it and says how much it really inspired them or like had a profound impact on their life about never giving up. Yeah. And it's like, I needed, I need to learn that lesson myself. The only thing that got me through that film is I knew I said to myself, I don't know quite how to finish this movie. I don't know how to get through this, this project, but I do know if I, if I do not finish it, I will never have the confidence to finish an impossible task again. Oh, absolutely. If I do finish it, if I just keep putting one foot in front of another, I will always have it to stand on. And I'm having a hard time standing on it right now. I'm having a hard time, like, mounting another campaign for this this new project I want to do. Is that because you feel like the project is, it's to that level of what Circle the Wagons was and you know what went into that? Or is it possible? Is it, is it just one of those things where you're like, if it if it doesn't end up the way that it that I expect it to be, is it worth me putting that? Do I end up with a woulda, coulda, shoulda? Not I'm, done. I'm just I'm I'm spilling my brains, my heart on these pages, trying to work through what it is that is um, making me gun shy. So uh, your those pages are what's my stopgap? What it, those pages are not your idea. Those pages are those pages are why am I not doing this? Is that what this you're saying? The, yeah, I'm trying to work through my unconscious um, fears. Hmm. Um, right, right now I have three projects. One is this this travel show idea. 
uh-huh. that I think I've always kind of wanted to be a travel show host, to be honest. Like, I like to act, but I also like to be myself. And Yeah, well, and you'd be a great host, too. Thank you. I think I do okay. And I I love the travel. I'm, I am in amazement over everything when I travel. Every, I, 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 my eyes are, are noticing mm. bricks and stones and signs and people and music and food and smells. Like I'm just fully alive and I love the travel and I love to communicate. So I have this idea of all the travel shows that are out there. I think this is a very original one and I've been trying to think of an original one for a long time. And uh, I don't know. So I, I would. I want to be honest about this sort of um, obstacle, yeah. Because it's very real and it's very human, and I think it's valuable for people to know that I don't live an Instagram life or whatever. Mm. You know, absolutely. Um, not that <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what kind of life people think I, I live, but uh, if it appears that way. It, the only thing I think just from the general public, and I think you probably, you, from what you say, you felt this way before you got into what you're doing now. You had this idea of what it was like to be in the Hollywood eye, yeah. the, the idea of what it was like to be an actor and go on auditions. And like, even we text this morning and I'm like, and you're like, Hey, just confirming time. And I said, yeah, this is good. Oh, I'm go walking into an audition right now. And even in my head, I'm like, Oh, he's going to audition. That's so cool. I hope he kills it. It's going to be great. Because, I mean, I like to, I've never done any professional acting stuff. You kill me at all that. But, like, that's, that's, an, that's an avenue that I feel like I have a gift of communicating. And I've started doing speaking. And I love the live audience. And that is interesting to me to say, Charlie's doing it. Charlie's going on uh, auditions and stuff. So there's that little bit of just, just the fact that you went to an audition for the general public that's not in that world sees that and go, Oh man, he's living the life. I'm going to go back to work my nine to five and wish I was going on auditions. But you're saying it's just as hard, if not harder. Let me walk you through living in the world. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish your, finish your sentiment. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just harder. It's just as hard, if not harder to go through audition after audition, after audition, and maybe booking here and there, but never knowing when your next one was, as opposed to having a nine to five where you're grinding it out or you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a business or you're, you've got this big idea and you're putting it together. It's all work. It's just, do you like the work or not? That's what it comes De- down to. Definitely all work. That is true. Um, here's my audition today. Um, so auditions are either on the West side in Santa Monica or usually in Hollywood. There's a couple in the Valley. So this one was in the Valley. I hadn't been in this place in actually a year and a half or so. Uh, so it's nice to go back. Uh, it was for, uh, I don't know if I can actually say, I, I signed okay. a non-disclosure, non-disclosure, but gotcha. here it's for a super it, secret production. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why it's something like, it's like the, the iPhone 11 or anything, but here's, here's, have you been on an iPhone 11 commercial? No, you don't have no. To. <laughs> but there, there was no copy. Oh, and here's, here's my audition. I'm a construction worker and I'm shoveling whatever. And here's, here's how it goes. Thank you. And then I walk out of the room. I put, you know, I, I plugged the meter full of like four quarters. I talked with the girl who I did the audition with and we walk out. There was no words. It was all a look. It was all thinking. Um, the camera just reads your thoughts. 
and then you go back home. Wow. Um, and so, like, what does that make you feel like? It kind of makes you feel like, oh, sorry, so Hollywood, right? So Hollywood, get it, man. No, 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 no. I'll turn it off. Um, oh, okay. It makes you feel like you, you go in the middle of your day to some. And I, if, if I'm going to, I'm living Burbank. If I'm going to Santa Monica. It's 40 minutes out there. I'm there for at least yeah. 40 minutes. It's 40 minutes back. Like that's, you know, that's a lot of time that I could be doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and my job's at night. Like I tend bar. Mm-hmm. I tend bar at a jazz club. Um, so I've been thinking about getting a day job mm-hmm. and then it would kind of preclude me from going to auditions, but right. It's that, well, it's that, I mean, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier. It's like, well, do I go forward with this or do I go forward with that? Cause you're, you're kind of at a crossroads in that world. Whereas do I, do I hit this project hard and just keep grinding or do I go a new path or, you know, what? You're at a decision point, it sounds like. For me, doing things, um, like what's scary for me right now would be to, you know, get a a Monday through Friday, nine to five. Um, Mm -hmm. Someone else would be scary to like move out here or to go on auditions. I have a spreadsheet. I write down every audition I've ever gone on. I think it's, I haven't tallied it up recently, but it's probably about six to 625. Um, Wow. And when I got to 300, I tallied all like the callbacks and the bookings and which ones I got for myself and which ones my agent got for me. I remember someone told me the highest booking non-celebrity commercial actor, highest booking non-celebrity commercial actor in Hollywood, Boise Holmes, booked one out of every 14 auditions. And he went on average um, like one to three auditions every day. Whoa. So he was booking like one every week or two. And these are like big, a lot of them, a lot of them big national commercials. He's making bank. So that's the highest one out of 14. So you can imagine, I can tell you this. I booked three commercials in the last calendar year. Um, they weren't, they weren't great pay. They're not enough for me to live on. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, you know, flew me to Seattle one shot in a historic building in Hollywood that I was in love with. Um, and the other one uh, was like this beautiful PSA public service announcement for Obamacare that just never aired because I guess mm-hmm. that's not doing so well these days. So yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of getting hammered. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is a bummer because it was a really lovely little scene that I did. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this, man. I, I think, there's a there's a element of me that wonders for a because because you've been in the industry since I think before I mean you've been in the industry since YouTube started right like the whole online video self promotion social media you've been on since before that has there been any part of that that has changed the industry as far as when you go on editions do you get there and there's like some YouTube personality or there's somebody that's outside of the industry that has kind of crashed in by using other elements than the standard you have an agent, you go to the, you go to the auditions, all that kind of stuff. Has that made an impact that's that you felt in the industry for you? Um, I have actually a lot of friends that are doing very well on YouTube. Um, and they, mm-hmm. 
you know, so say you are just a person who's creative, loves to communicate, has ideas and gets, decides to get familiar with how to put together video content, mm-hmm. which is easier than ever. Um, you, there's nothing stopping you from putting up something 30 to 60 seconds to two minutes once a week. Once a week is tough. If it's going to be quality, yep. but people do it. Um, and here's why that's so huge is that everybody has an idea. Some people talk about it. Some people start and very few people actually can show something that they're doing and then do it again and again and again and again. So yeah, these people who put up YouTube videos and they're doing one a week and they've been doing it for a few years, Ryan Higa, um, my dear friend, Lana McKissick, um, Kev Jumba, Chester C, uh, Dietrichs, all these people are putting up videos all the time. They're getting really good. And I, I've been saying that YouTube is like the new vaudeville. So I love, I love old, yeah. I love old entertainment and I've read so many books about vaudeville and what vaudeville did was it just gave you your 10,000 hours in front of a live audience. Now yeah. YouTube is live, but you get a lot of feedback and you really do get your 10,000 hours. So I saw something that I did a location scouting thing last week. This girl, um, Inanna, um, has been putting out tons of videos and I was watching her shoot and I was like, she's really like honed her comedy, you know, by doing these videos, same thing, a lot of stand-up sets. Um, so I will say that people are getting good through YouTube because they're creating their own forum to put in their time. And by doing that, you can submit to agents and say, look, I have this channel. Here's all the content I've been doing for over a year. Here's all the followers I have. Like followers are worth something. They do show that people are enjoying your stuff. Oh yeah. And then that agent doesn't have to take a huge risk on saying, yeah, I'm going to sign you. Cause I know when I send you out, you're a polished stone. You're going to make us money. That's totally true. That's all they're thinking. Is this person going to book? Right. Of course. So what is that? What is it that stopped you from doing that? Um, I mean, cause I just think from a standpoint of you're saying like travel show and you're like, and you, you're, you're a personality. I mean, we've known each other since high school. Like you're, you're a really entertaining. Like, I think my favorite story you ever told was the, uh, Pokemon go people that ended up outside your apartment. You called the cops that like, that was, that was, that story was epic. I will, that is amazing. But like for you. Like you're the guy that could be like, just turn on your webcam and sit in front of it two minutes a day and be like, this is life guys. And this is the thing or or vlogging your, your, your craft as a, as a actor or doing a travel vlog. Like those are the kind of things that, I mean, with the exception of maybe learning how to run the video and do the editing and, and all of the detail stuff which you could find someone to do for you probably for really cheap or free. That like, sounds pretty simple. I have could you do thought that. about it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, have you, have you thought about that? Yeah. I think part of what has stopped me in the past is that um, I haven't felt like I've had like a great concept or anything like interesting to say about it or like I, you see so many people just vomit out of the mouth mm-hmm. about really inane things. And there's something there's a voice inside me that says you don't want to do that. And, but, but the truth is that people who start off all vomity and terrible, if they keep doing it, they probably get good. 
so it's a ten thousand hours, man. That's that's legit. A big hang up of mine is um I I guess being willing to be bad in the beginning. And uh I've been trying to combat that the last ten years with a fear a year. So I'll try to like identify something that scares me and um like the first year it was going to a dance audition or it was just like dancing in front of people. I was really shy. I was like, if I'm going to be a performer, like I can't be shy because there's a part of me that's pretty introverted. So I went out for a dance audition and I booked this. Wait, thing. you're, you're introverted. To no way. Yeah. I would have never expected that. I mean, you're I'm kind of alternately. Huh, well, yeah, I mean, okay. I, I don't know if it's like all one or all the other for anybody, but sure. Yeah, I definitely have, um, like an inward quality. So I just, tr- I realized shortly after attacking these fears that there's nothing really scary. You know, it's just, mm. it's just all in your head. It's not like it's a, a bear. It's not, you know, pouring gasoline on yourself. Right. It's, You're not literally going to die. It's not really dangerous for you. It's just in your head. And you kind of, like I've kind of gotten addicted to, to overcoming these things and not that I'm like all out of things that, that I'm afraid of. Right. But one of the things is that, uh, I will stop myself before I start because of the, like the lack of quality. I think I might bring to it in the beginning or mm. feeling that the value that you bring, isn't something that anybody's going to really care to kind of going back to what you said about coming to Hollywood when you're from St. Louis or you're from Ohio or you're from Florida, nobody cares. Like, and taking that into the video, YouTube, Facebook, whatever platform you use, like the, the thought of, well, who's going to care? Right. Yeah. Well, also the, the intimidation of like, um, how long am I going to do this? Uh, mm. I going to get um, stuck doing it. Am I going to get attached to it? Or am I going to like just do one and like fail? And um, I, I can get overwhelmed. Mm. But that's that's a that's a hard thing for me. Is my best friend Ryan Green, who's um, who directed Circle the Wagon. We've worked on things since college together. He always says that the best way to eat an elephant is a bite at a time. That's right, man. And it's like I need to tattoo it on my forehead because I just think I got like that's kind of how I work. Is I work in like these huge fits, you know, and I'll stay up all night. And I just because for me the challenge is to learn how to just slow and steady it. Yeah. I feel like that's a lesson I could have learned. I could have like behooved me to learn as a kid, like <laughs> an entire summer painting a fence or something. You know? Right. Right. You hang out with Mr. Miyagi a little more. And then like, like that the summer, you look back at the fence, you're like, damn, I did that one day. At a I time. did. Yeah, yeah. One day at a time. So that's so what, a challenge for me. Yeah. So what is it? What does Charlie Pickero want to do? Like, what's your, what do you want? What's your desire? What are you looking for? Um, I mean, that's a super deep question and I'm hard to like hitting with you. Like right now, I just feel like, like, where is it? Where are you headed? Where does, where do you want to be? Or do you even know yet? Well, um, I could piece part of it together. Um, I mean, in my writing this morning, I'm doing this, I'm kind of going through this booklet. It's a little bit like the actor's way, but it's by this guy, Joe Duncan, um, who has a, a booklet you work through called the, the blueprint. Mm-hmm. And it forces me to like think about things five years down the road, 10 years down the road. I'm not really usually very big on that, but I'm like, what the hell? Let's go through the exercise and mm-hmm. see what I'm not normally thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know that if I don't um, take more risks, like I, I, had a, I had a couple girlfriends ago, I had one who was really fearless and she would take risks left and right. And she always had this confidence that she would be able to land on her feet or figure it out if she didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, was a, that was a great quality for me to have in a partner because um, I, I need to play more with the game of life and take more risks. And I know, and here's, here's the one thing I do know, is that later down the road, if I'm an older man and I have not done that, I will have huge regret. And that will weigh tons. Mm. So, so I, I need to do this damn travel show. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to make it. Like, yeah. I mean, what's, what's stopping you from saying, I'm just going to travel this next weekend, whatever. I'm going to drive to Santa Monica and walk on the pier and do, I, I know you've got ideas. I'm not telling you what to do. The local pilot is, you know, talk about YouTube. Like uh, my producer friend said, you know, if you really want to pitch yourself a, a viably as a host, you got to have a little bit of tape on yourself as a host and not just characters. And I was like, mm, that's good. That's true. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't put three and a half million down on a show budget on a guy who's never hosted before. Maybe, maybe not a lot of reality stuff out. So um, I have a local version of the show that I've developed um, that I could do in LA. And then if yeah. that I do five episodes in LA and that goes well, I can do West coast. I can do um, something that's not too cost prohibitive. So right. The, I mean, without, without a ton of travel, you've got a lot of opportunity right where you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a historical travel show and, um, and you can't steal it because I already registered it with the WGA. Dude, like, I'm not. I am not a travel vlog guy. Like, I'm gonna go. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah, whoever's listening, you can't take it. It's his idea, and so I'll bleep it out. It's All a right. it's a beep show, and it'll be great. <laughs> but like, if just, and that's one of those things where I'm I'm of the mindset of you have to just do Dude, one. I admire one. Your your gumption, man. You know, you, you got a lot of and. You know, we haven't been like uh, back and forth on the daily over the years, but I see you trying things that I know you haven't tried before. Mm-hmm. And I say, hell yeah, Todd, uh, you know, what has he got to lose? And I know that's your attitude. It's, and, I mean, literally like what literally, like you said, it's not going to kill me. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing that I'm trying that is a detriment to my family or my future at this point. Um, like, and I'm, I'm not fearless, but like, I really don't care. Like I don't if if I have I know you if don't I care have, about your own personal image. I know you don't care about making a fool of yourself. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that like I'm gonna try stand up in a couple weeks. Just I've never done it before. That was I a feel like, that I did. I highly recommend it. Yeah. So how did you? What did you set up doing that? How, I mean, yeah. I'd love to hear your experience. Well, stand up comedy is as naked as you can get on stage. I if you're, you're, even if you're singing a song a cappella, you have the song as a prop. But stand up um, to make people have a bodily reaction every thirty to sixty seconds is really quite daunting. So I took um, a six-week stand-up class from this wonderful seasoned comic named Cynthia Levin, who now lives in Chicago. But we would meet at this place that had a little stage and a little spotlight, and you know we would write. It would just write our shit, write um, what we know. Stories about ourselves. You know, I'd write about how old my dad is and 
um, then we'd, we'd go up and just just give it our best shot, right? I'll just no, because the hardest part is just getting up. It's just getting sure. up. getting on the Get stage up. itself. Yeah, yeah, because it's just you're you're just in the dark. And so then, okay, you know, you some claps, and then Cynthia gives you gives you notes. And honestly, like after six weeks, it was really really helpful. We had a um, we had a show, and uh, someone I was talking to someone the week before the show, and they said you need to go do an open, you need to do three minutes at an open mic at the Improv Olympic on Hollywood Boulevard just to get those first jitters out of the way so that when you actually do your set, you're going to feel so much better. And I was like, oh God, I have to like do this even just a few days earlier. So I did. I went yeah. I three minutes. I rushed through these dad jokes. I had someone tape it. I like, I probably like fled, probably fled the scene. I, I got my phone. Thank you. And ran to a burger joint and had like onion rings and burgers and beers. So I was like, I just had to eat all my emotions. And then like two days later, I went up and like did pretty decently. Yeah. Did pretty decent. I got some laughs. My recollection of it was very positive. I went on to do it for the next year. Um, wrote some new material, bopped around town at a couple different spots. had like a couple club owners say, Hey man, I liked your set. Why don't you come and go do it over at the, uh, I forget what it's called in Burbank. And, and I just realized that to really be a stand up, you got to go do sets like three, four times a week late at night. Uh, a lot. They do it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that love for it. Yeah. But I really loved the opportunity and the experience. And I'm not honestly opposed to do it again. So yeah. I mean, there's a and class the live. The live audience, I think, is one of my favorite parts. Like, how did that feel when you're you're right. up there and you're, yeah, right. That's the part of performing I love. Even yeah, though I'm a theater guy, like, I am a big communication guy, and honestly, the I think I was fortunate because the fear I conquered just before stand up was doing improv. And, ah, um, doing improv made me feel comfortable with the silence and no safety net. So that when a joke bombed, when I was doing stand-up, I found that I was able to somersault and save it, kind of. Yeah. Or, or read the audience, probably, right? Yeah, man. You're making me want to do it again. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Hey, let's do a one-off. Let, I'll, I'll open for you. I'll take, I'll take the bad, and then you kill it and slay it home. Well, let's do, do it. I, I highly recommend you um, do stand-up. Try to find some class just to get some material. One of the most hilarious mistakes that um, first time uh, standups make is they write into their set, like pause for laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but I think that's my problem. Like I, with my public speaking, even like I spoke to uh, 1500 kids down in San Diego and I spoke to 1200 kids here at French church in your Belinda. And I've spoken to a uh, hundred real estate agents like a couple weeks ago about taxes, which who taxes at eight o'clock in the morning. That's not something that somebody's ever excited about, no. but I got four, four other people say, Hey, would you want to come talk at our thing? Like it, there was enough of a reaction to say, awesome. Oh, but, but I didn't have like, I didn't write anything down. Like I had bullet points. I did not write details and I don't do good at that. Which And I started doing some of this stuff and some people are like, well, you need to make sure you write this down and you write your lines. And, all. and I'm like, no way. Like, I don't, I can't do that. And I feel like that works for some people. It doesn't work for me. Well, with telling jokes, 
you want them to be tight. You don't want them to be fatty. So maybe you start. What does that mean? What does that fatty? mean? Um, so joke yeah. telling is about timing and it's also about like, um, it's kind of a precise um, setup, uh, setup and payoff. So if you're taking a lot, like you ever heard someone tell a story and they're telling it very poorly. Yes. And you're like, you just start getting impatient. And then if there's ever like a good part they get to, you're like, God, that could have been so much sweeter and shorter. Right. <laughs> and, and then someone else tells a story and they're like, every nugget is really tasty. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And you're tracking the whole way. It's mm -hmm. kind of how it is for telling jokes. And um, I was never like a jokey joke guy. I was like a storytelling joker, a, a joke teller. Mm-hmm. But you want you don't want to meander. You don't want because people because like I said, people are they're focusing on you. Yeah, every word you say, and if you're if you're being loose with it, and I don't mean like um, being off the being off the cuff or having some fun or like. I mean, if you're taking too long to get to where you're trying to go, you're gonna sure. lose. It. So maybe yeah. maybe to get like the essential parts of the joke that they need this information. And this is, and it'll, this will be funny if they have all this information. Right. Like, well, one of the, one of the bits I'm working on is because, so like when I, most, both of my kids were born, as soon as anything started to get hard for Tammy, I, I passed out both times. Like the, with the, my youngest, the delivery? my oldest, I mean, the, the delivery. Yeah. We're in the hospital. And like ninja nurses came and like sat me down. Cause I was getting white, whatever they could tell. And then with the second one, with the twins, it was C-section. And so they started like the war, the room just got warm and I just felt, Oh no. And they wheeled me out, dumped me in the hallway and left me for dead to get the, ba the babies out. Right. Yeah. But my whole thing about that is like, I, so my setup for that is I just found out that recently that I'm actually a superhero. So I like to tell you my origin story, but it's backwards because I'm not finding out my power. Like I don't have laser beams shooting in my eyes or webs coming from my hands. It's because I found my kryptonite and it's babies being born. Like that's so walking them I down. Know that, I'm a superhero. Because I have a kryptonite. Yeah, right? Or at least that's what I, that's what I tell myself. Because that's if I, I tell have myself. a huge weakness, then I'm just a failure. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be an upside to this to this Achilles heel. Yes, absolutely. So that's yeah. – and it's stuff like that. It's stories that, you know, whatever. But that's that's the direction that I would go. So I like the storytelling jokes that, like, have little little hits along the way. And then the end, it's a some sort of zinger that brings you back to the beginning and then – Referencing is always, I love that. I just love comedians too. Callbacks. Yeah. Callbacks big time. That's the, that's so the, much. That's the comedian's term for it. And you know, I don't want to, I don't want to purport that I'm like some seasoned comedian. Well, I've, you've done it and I haven't. You're well, I've, I've listened to a lot of comedian podcasts. <laughs> I listened to a lot of Mark Maron. I listened to a lot of Pete Holmes. Listen to. Oh, Pete Holmes is great. Yeah, I Pete. love Pete. Yeah. He's his sort. Do you watch the, uh, what's, what's his show on HBO? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's right. You don't watch. I've been doing do a live show of his when he um, over at the uh, uh, theater in West Hollywood. I think it's called the Falcon, where he interviewed okay. Rob Bell. Him and Rob Bell had this. Um, oh yeah! Yeah. Did you cool. listen to them on their podcast together? I didn't go see the live show, but yeah, those two those two together are, are a scream. Like They're pretty good. It's it's pretty good. So yeah, Pete's a good comic. He's really smart, and he's really done his time. He's a real pro. Yeah, no, I think I think it's super cool. But anyways, well, you know what? I I really glad that we did this. Yeah, I really glad that we caught up, and I'm pumped for you and what you've got coming. And I think 
that as long as you just take that risk that you're, you know, that little bit of fear, like you're saying, you just conquer one fear a year. Like, dude, you, you've got great ideas. You're a great dude. And I'm super excited for you. And I hope that, uh, all this stuff works out for you in the end for sure. I really appreciate that. I'm really proud of you. I, you, I mean, I don't know, hopefully you'll believe me when I say this, but I find you very inspiring because I love your fearlessness. Or even if you say you're not quite fearless, at least you do act. So um, I like that you step out into it. And um, the doing things is really another way of saying, uh, you know, for me, roll the dice, play the game of life, have fun, taste the flavors. Um, take risks, um, take opportunities. Yeah. Just take Here, action. All the wonderful things. Yeah. Cause really, I don't think there's a lot of, unless it's something that you're trying that's bad for you. There's really like not a lot of harm. It's just yeah. more embarrassment or sense of self failure, all these things that are internal. It's mindset, man. It's so yeah. mindset and perspective that I think it's, it's, and I think it's that simple. Uh, now the the emotion well, it's and the whatever it's tied to, yeah, yeah, but but it's all a simply your mindset and what is your mind telling you that is keeping you from taking action. Now, like you said, it's not bad things. Like I'm not saying do meth. Like that's not one of the things you're supposed to do. Don't do that. Um, thing. No, don't do that thing. Think not drugs. Right, right. Things not drugs. Love it. Oh, awesome, man. Hey, Charlie. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to when you come up here to do your stand up, please let me yes. know. And I will support Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And I'm not, ju- let's do one together. That'd be fun. Let's do something. <sighs> All right. And if, and if you, and, and okay, no, that's the thing. Now you got, you figured whatever you need to do to figure it out. Let's do something together. I'm not kidding. I'll be your pusher. I'll be your pusher. Let's do this. I'm in it. So, so things are a drug. You are a pusher. <laughs> stricken from the record that's right (laughs) Uh, oh man i'm really glad we did this thanks buddy me too my pleasure thanks for checking out the do things podcast we're so glad that you're part of this community if you wouldn't mind we would love to get your take on this podcast and what you think of it write us a review on itunes or a rating either way your feedback is what is going to make this show better and is going to make us a better community we will see you next time get out there and do things